Hello, friends, and welcome to Something to Talk About, a podcast where different women come together to talk about the Word of God and the various ways it applies to our lives. Today, we are taking a break from our study in Joshua to highlight a particularly unique ministry in our church called Hand in Hand. Hand in Hand exists to serve individuals and families who have been impacted by disabilities within our church. I'm Amber Barrett, and joining me today to talk about this ministry is Hand in Hand's director, Susie Lovecamp, who is a dear friend of mine and a mother of a daughter with special needs. Welcome, Susie. Thank you for having me back. You're welcome. Yeah, you are a returning member, or a returning <laughs> guest, aren't you? Well, also sitting with us around the table today are two ladies, Jenny Purcell and Caroline Albanese, both who are beautiful mothers of beautiful children with special needs. And Caroline and Jenny have graciously agreed to share with us some of the deeply rich and difficult things they have learned and experienced as they've loved and cared for these precious children. Ladies, welcome. Thank you for having us. Yes, thank you. Glad to be here. All right, ladies, we start each podcast with our first things first segment. So I'm going to ask you a question about a first, and I'd like you to answer it. And then I also want you to give a personal introduction so our listeners can get to know you a little bit. Our first things first question is, what is the first Halloween or fall festival costume you remember dressing one of your children in? And was it a success or a failure? Jenny, start us off. Hi, I'm Jenny. Um, and my husband is Wiley. We have four children. I have a third grader, Nolan. I have a kindergartner, Elijah, and I have a pre-K or Virginia. And then we have Samuel, who will be two on October 30th. Mm. Um, Samuel has trisomy 13, which is a rather rare chromosomal abnormality. Um, and we found out when he was still in utero, I was about 11 weeks pregnant when we began getting tests back that were showing that something might be going on with him. And so we knew early on in the pregnancy um, that he had this diagnosis. And this diagnosis often leads to a very short life. So we spent most of the pregnancy only expecting for him to live a few hours. That's what we were told by um, medical professionals. And so we walked through being pregnant with this little baby for six months. I'm expecting to only hold him for a few hours. Um, he was born very traumatically. <laughs> um, we had to have an emergency C-section and he came out alive. He came out breathing. Um, he had to have a lot of immediate support, spent eight weeks in the NICU. Again, even through that experience, we, um, we thought after a few weeks that we again would lose him and God had other plans. And so we brought him home at eight weeks old on hospice and he has been on hospice um, since he was eight weeks old and he will be two in October. Um, so there are very few children with this diagnosis. And so we don't have a clear path as to what to expect from his life or what to expect um for him to ever be able to do. He is developmentally at about a five month old level. So Samuel laughs. He is a joy to be around. He has changed our family. We are different people mm -hmm. and we are thankful for what God's done through him. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to answer the Halloween question. I mean, it has to do with Samuel. Mm -hmm. So Samuel only has one eye that opens. He has a micro eye. And so last year for his first Halloween, he was a pirate. Mm 
so that we can put a patch <laughs> on, it. on the on it. the one eye and he was a really cute little one-eyed pirate yeah he so is cute. adorable i have seen him smile and it is it, it is really a beautiful thing to it see is. him smile and we've walked with y'all just a little bit and watching you trying to navigate all of the unknown to expect one thing to begin to grieve to not grieve to be waiting to grieve just all those sorts of things and so i really appreciate you coming today and just sharing with us i'm really looking forward to what you have to say so i'm caroline albanese and i am married to zach and we have four children who are seven five and then we have boy girl twins who will be two years old in january And, um, when our twins were born, we were surprised and learned that, um, the little girl twin Camille actually had, um, has down syndrome. And, um, and then a few months after that, we found out that the other twin has, um, a rare disease and that required a couple of surgeries and some pretty involved medical care, um, He's doing really well now, but, um, the first year felt pretty traumatic. And, um, now really, as we just adjust to life, um, with a daughter with special needs, we're walking down a path that has felt just very new and different. And, um, God has really been teaching us a lot through it. Um, so I will share about, um, our most recent Halloween, because that's when we became a fam. That's by that point, we were a family of six. Um, so we decided to uh, dress up as a taco dinner. Awesome. <laughs> um, my oldest daughter was the taco. Um, my oldest son was a chili pepper. And then my husband and I were chips and salsa. And um, the, our twins at that point were so little and so cute. And we just, of course, had to have them be part of the taco meal, too. And so um, they were an avocado and um, pineapple. So (laughs) it was really fun. And I love like looking back at the pictures. It's just so cute. So I'd say it was a a success. I think it was. That is impressive. I'm like, oh, we could be a soccer player. (laughs) Did you have a soccer uniform? That's about as creative as as I can get. Well, thank you, Caroline. I'm looking forward to hearing more from you, too. Susie, go ahead and answer that question for us as well. Okay. I'm Susie Lovecamp. I have been married to Joe for 18 years. We have officially entered into a season of parenting teenagers that I feel very ill-equipped for. We have two (laughs) high schoolers and one middle schooler ages 16, 14, and 12. So we moved to Augusta 12 years ago, actually next week, right in time to take our then four-year-old, two-year-old, and 10-month-old out trick-or-treating. We were in our new neighborhood, thought it was going to be so great. I dressed them in (laughs) matching pirate outfits because I needed to coordinate boy and girls, (laughs) and I just had it all planned out. And then it started raining and storming and we were not able to take them out. And then they started crying and then there was no candy. There was no trick or treating. And I just remember thinking this was so disappointing. And I had some pretty um, unmet expectations. (laughs) So you would say it was not. It was a failure. It's because you forgot the pirate boat. Who was going to be the pirate boat? Joe should have been the waterproof pirate boat. I just it was a flop. Well, I've already said that all of y'all's is way better than mine because I don't remember what I 
dressed my child up for the first time, but I will say it's probably a soccer player. All three of my boys like to play soccer. <laughs> Halloween rolls around. What should I be? Soccer player. Great. Put Perfect. on your clothes, go outside, get some candy. That's about as creative as I get. So I am impressed with y'all. Well, Susie, I am glad that you're here with us today because as a director of Hand in Hand, you're getting an opportunity to share with our ladies and even people outside of our church just how unique the ministry of Hand in Hand is and and what it's designed to do and how wonderfully it's doing it. I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about a little bit more about Sadie and your family <laughs> and who she is and then how you came to uh, be involved with Hand in Hand, how Hand in Hand had its formation and then what it's doing now in our church. Okay. So our youngest daughter, Sadie, was diagnosed with Rett syndrome when she was five years old. Rett is a rare neurological disorder that occurs primarily in girls, about one in 10,000 girls. It's rarely seen in boys. The girls with Rett develop normally until regression sets in, causing them to lose their ability to talk and walk and have purposeful use of their hands. So Rhett looks like Parkinson's, epilepsy, autism, all rolled into one. For Sadie, Rhett has taken away her ability to talk. She is cognitively aware of many things, um, but she is just trapped in a body that prevents her from doing what she wants to do. She um, requires full care from us. Um, thankfully, Sadie is able to do many activities that she does enjoy, like swimming and biking. So that has been a huge gift to us. When we moved to Augusta, we had no idea that anything was wrong with Sadie. And so as her development started regressing, we found ourselves in a really just unfamiliar territory. We were desperate to worship. We um, would just limp across that threshold of the sanctuary, just um, weary and grieving and trying to survive our new normal, um, only to be called away by the nursery staff because they were unable to meet Sadie's needs. And it felt so discouraging to be in the one place that we needed most, um, but yet we just didn't fit there and there wasn't a place for Sadie. So we joined together with another family in the church who had a son with special needs and a few other members who had a heart for those impacted by disabilities. And we created Hand in Hand. It truly was born out of need. We wanted a place for other families who experienced disability to belong Hand in Hand exists to come alongside of individuals and families who've been impacted by disabilities to show them the love of Christ and the hope of his kingdom. We desire to not only serve these individuals, but also provide opportunities for them to serve and be vital members of the body of Christ. So one way we do this is through our buddy program where members of our church are partnered with an individual with disabilities and help them to participate in the ministries of First Pres. This allows parents and caregivers to worship and be in community, knowing that their family member is being enfolded into the body of Christ in a safe and loving environment. So it allows the gospel to be accessible to those with disabilities who learn differently and have unique needs. One out of four people are diagnosed with disabilities, making up the largest unreached people group in the mm -hmm. world. Often these individuals, they're unchurched because they are not welcome. They are told that their needs are too great and people really just don't know what to do with them. Mm -hmm. 
I have um, been on staff as the director for Hand in Hand for almost four years, and it truly has been a privilege for me to walk alongside of families like mine and see the Lord, um, see that the Lord really just has purpose um, in our pain. Lately, the Lord has been doing so many exciting things that I just can't believe I get to be a part of this. We've grown from two families to 20 families Mm -hmm. to look around at church now and to see other families like mine who are broken, who are not perfectly put together, who are messy. Um, It just reflects the complete body of Christ where all members, weak or strong, are valued and have a place. Mm -hmm. Well said. What I love about that is just the fact of how much you wanted to go to church mm-hmm. and limping across the threshold mm-hmm. and just so wanting to be there, but so having such a hard time just participating yeah. in worship. And what a privilege. I, I serve as a hand-in-hand buddy, which means that I go out during service and, um, with a little girl and just and with her in her class. And it is such a joy to me. And then it's such a privilege to think, by my doing that, I'm allowing this family to sit and yes. to be able to participate fully in worship when otherwise I might not be able to. So sure. just such a, I mean, from two families to 20 families too, yeah. just makes me smile. It's very exciting. And y'all have started something else new recently that you've yes. been excited about. You told me a little bit about it. It's called, it's a G3 group. It's some groups that we do, specialized groups that we do here at the church. And the name of yours is Not Alone. And in describing it to me, you said that it's a place where people can find hope and community in the midst of raising and caring for special needs children and adults and to come together in community um, to speak these things to each other, the hardships, the graces, the hope, the frustrations, all those sorts of things. You just were super excited. You'd only met one time, (laughs) uh, but you were super excited about how it got started. So tell us a little bit about that as well. So as the ministry has grown, we are growing in our care and shepherding of our hand-in-hand families. So our church has created the G3 groups, like you said, to provide a small group atmosphere where people share a particular um, just struggle of sin or suffering. The G is for gospel-centered groups. So rather than making um, a particular issue or struggle or sin the centerpiece of the groups, we're striving to make the gospel of Christ the core of all of our groups. So this month we started our very first G3 group for our hand-in-hand families called Not Alone. My goal for this G3 group is really not to explain away suffering or to focus on the special needs of our children, but to fix our eyes on Jesus, to learn to suffer well together, to share transparently in a safe place, to encourage one another in clinging to hope. Um, We're going through a book written by Dr. Kelly Capick called Embodied Hope, a Theological Meditation on Pain and Suffering. And he really captures the importance of living in community um, like this. He says to live amid the rubble, the dark questions, the daunting fears, to be a creature living with hope in a broken world, not a hypothetical world, but this world filled with beauty and tears, with laughter and ache. And there's something just so beautiful and significant about sitting in a group of people who get it, who speak your language, who are holding on to hope, who are persevering in the fight, Um, to sit in that circle and hear of God's faithfulness displayed in these families' lives amidst very hard, gut-wrenching circumstances and diagnoses, the death of dreams and unmet expectation. It felt really sacred, even Mm. in that one space. 
um, I looked around that circle and just was reminded that we are, in fact, not alone in this journey caring for and raising our daughter. So I've asked two of my friends who are part of this G3 Not Alone to share about the unexpected ways that they've come to experience God and the joys and struggles of parenting a child with special needs. So ladies, I'm so grateful to get to walk this journey together. Would you share with us what you've learned about God in the day in and day out of caring for a child with special needs? I um, have learned so much. Um, I just so much. I can't even share at all. But um, one of the things is even just from the very beginning, um, finding out about Camille's diagnosis was a real shock. And um, it caused me to honestly question God's goodness. Um, You know, theologically, I believe that God is good. Theologically, I believe that God is sovereign, that he plans out every single detail of our lives. And therefore, everything comes through his hand. But when we were faced with this diagnosis, it did not feel good. Mm -hmm. And I had some very dark and um, difficult moments. Um, In those early days, I'd say I had to solely trust by faith and not by sight that God was good. And the Lord was with me even then when I felt like I was just limping towards him, even a bit angry at him, but not knowing who else to go to, (laughs) where else to turn, um, and believing that in somehow, in some way, um, he would show his goodness, um, through what felt like a devastating diagnosis, um, with where we are now, um, now we're 21 months, 21 months in, I would say that the Lord has given us more and more glimpses of his tangible goodness. And it's not just having to rely like on um, faith that he is good and believing that truth, even though it didn't feel good. Seeing glimpses of that tangible goodness. One of the ways that we've seen that is just through our daughter, Camille. Um, she is teaching us about God Um, His unconditional love, his delight, um, his patience, his endurance. She gives the best smiles and the best hugs, and she has the cutest laugh. And anyone who really just spends time connecting with her comes away just so in love with our little Camille. So she just is a gift, um, and God has been using her to teach us a lot about himself. Um, And there have and continue to be very difficult things in the day in, day out care of having a child with special needs. And along with that can come a lot of fear. Mm. Some days are fine. Some days, some weeks are fine. Like I can be good. And then every once in a while, it'll just be really, really hard, like really hard. And the Lord is using it all to cause my husband and I to really cling to Christ in a whole new way. Um, I mean, I'd say we were clinging to Christ before, but it's in a whole new way since having a child with special needs and, um, and even just to rely on each other as a team even more. And, um, 
birthing in us a faith that feels more sincere, more real, more raw. Um, I mean, it's really messy. It's not, it's not always the cleanest, nicest looking thing, but I would say we're clinging to him. And I think in that there is goodness and that he is glorified. Um, and also just, I mean, God's will for our life is that we would be more like Christ. And I can say a hundred percent having a child with special needs, the Lord is making me more like Christ. It doesn't always feel that way, (laughs) but, um, but I do think he is doing a work in me and he's birthing in me a compassion towards people with special needs. Um, he's giving me endurance and patience when I just want to give up. Um, he's calling me to serve, 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 serve constantly. Um, And I would say, you know, he's just using all of these things to make me um, more like Jesus. And so and and these different things, I think that I'm seeing, okay, Lord, like I'm seeing glimpses of your goodness. um, And I'm thankful for that. Now, there are times that are really hard and I still do have to um, come back to that, like, okay, this doesn't feel good, but you say that you are good. And so I have to trust and um, cling to him by faith in that way too. Well, I love that the way that you're describing both of those things that sometimes the belief in God's goodness is by faith and sometimes it's by experience and mm-hmm. how I think that we can in the struggle somehow think that we're supposed to, that there's something wrong with us if we don't get emotionally um, that the God is good if we feel anything but the fact that God is good. And so I just mm-hmm. appreciate you saying that because I don't think it feels good and, and there's no shame in it not feeling good mm-hmm. and it feeling hard. And, and just to take away the thought that God's somehow dissatisfied with us because we haven't emotionally risen to this level of faith to say, oh, well, God is good, but that he reaches into those really hard places and, mm-hmm. and shows his goodness, not so that we can prove that we have faith, but so that he can strengthen faith mm-hmm. and just the mysterious ways he does that. Like you said, it's messy. <laughs> it's yes. messy. It's a lot of times it's not pretty, but there are beautiful things in the midst of it. So yes. I love how you express that. Yeah. Thank you. Jenny, what about you? Um, God has really turned my idea of suffering on its head through Samuel I think I spent most of my walk with God thinking about suffering as something that happened in seasons and something that God would eventually fix or take away. And even that's how I've prayed about suffering when things were hard or uncomfortable. I prayed based on what I thought would make the pain or discomfort end. And so so much of my hope in suffering came from that one day things would get better mm-hmm. that this too shall pass I feel like that's how I've survived most of my parenting mm-hmm. and um, God has stripped that with Samuel um, because this isn't a season mm-hmm. this is this is my child um, and I think when you have a special needs child it's not a season mm-hmm. it's not going to in a lot of ways get better mm-hmm. it is it's your life it's your story that you've been given. And so, um, you know, I don't, I don't get to find excitement in one day my house will never have diapers again. 
he will probably, he will have diapers his whole life, even though we, we, I don't know how long he'll live, but he'll have diapers. I don't get to think, oh goodness, if I can just get through the days where I don't get to sleep through the night, he may never sleep through the night. And so all these things that I think early on in my parenting, I kind of just was like, okay, if I can just survive this season of hard, then it'll be okay. Um, that is, that's gone Mm -hmm. with him that, you know, I, God has had to show me over and over again that my suffering doesn't have to go away because God is with me in it. Um, and he hasn't left me and his presence is now my hope. Um, and that's come from just a really awful two and a half years. Um, I mean, I have a child on hospice. There is, you know, my, our darkest days are still to come. It's, you know, we're the worst hasn't really happened yet. Um, but, I feel like God has shown me over and over again that he cares for me. He's with me. I mean, my worst nightmare has become a reality. I remember, I remember sitting when my OBGYN called me and said, you know, we think your, your baby has trisomy 13. We, the average life expectancy is eight days. And I remember hanging up the phone and I said, Wiley, this is, this is my worst nightmare. I'm going to carry a baby that's going to die. And, and I've walked it and I'm here Mm. and God hasn't, he hasn't left me. And, um, and he's, he's been an active part, um, and has shown himself over and over again, even in, in what has felt pretty awful. Mm. Um, and so my confidence is now in, in God being with me when, when it does get harder, mm. um, that he's not going to leave me when that harder gets really bad, um, that it will, he cares about me and that his presence is, is there. Mm. Um, and even when I don't feel it, um, the, the confidence of what we've just walked through over the past two and a half years, I, I think we can remember and say, God, you didn't leave us then. Um, and so I've got, I've, I know that you're not going to leave us in the future. And so the looking back on the, the suffering gives me the hope that I can walk through the future suffering that, that, that we're in and that we're living mm-hmm. in. Mm-hmm. It's almost terrifyingly powerful, um, what you're saying, because when you think sometimes how much we do want to avoid suffering, I mean, and of yeah. course we do, nobody welcomes that or wants that or wants to walk into that and yet to be at that place where I don't think you're probably any less dreading the suffering but you don't think that you're going to be in that alone and that is huge so thank you for sharing that what if what would you all say that is you know as you learn these lessons about who the Lord is you also learn lessons about who y'all are um, as you interact with your kiddos and things that you may not have realized about yourself before you realize about yourself now uh, what would you say some of those things would be? Um, I like myself a lot more broken and sad mm-hmm. and confused than I do keeping it together and mm-hmm. angry. Mm-hmm. I, I just was making that face because I think that's an interest <laughs> keeping it together and angry. Girl, we can all relate to that. Can't we? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean by that? I have, I, I, I have spent the past two and a half years, majority of it just wrecked, Mm -hmm. um, with nothing to offer to people, to God, to my children, to my husband. I've cried a lot, Mm -hmm. um, just wept. And, 
that that state of who I am, that's where I want to be because I look at who I was before and even who I am in, in the moments with Samuel where I'm kind of like, okay, things, things might be okay right now. Um, the, the holding it together, the avoiding the reality of just the broken world we live in and feeling those emotions. And it, it very quickly turns into someone who's just not happy mm-hmm. a lot of times and gets frustrated and angry. And so the Jenny that is wrecked, and a mess and helpless. It's who, it's who I really want to be. Um, and who I feel like is the myself that I, I kind of like, um, it's a scary version of who I am because I'm out of control, especially in those moments where I'm, I'm so broken. I have nothing to offer anybody, including God when I can't, pray when I don't read my Bible, all these things that have felt kind of like my go-tos when, when things go bad, those things can't even happen. I, I can't help friends. I, I'm yelling at my children. I can't even, don't have the energy sometimes to hug my children. Mm-hmm. Um, that sense of, of helplessness has, um, has been a sweet place. Mm-hmm. That I, I didn't, I didn't really realize how much I liked being, not liked being there. I, I mean, in a sense, it is. I, I, there's so much freedom mm-hmm. that's come from that. Yeah, and you say you don't have anything to offer, and I don't want to contradict you, but it, it's different than what you would think you would have to offer. Yes. Like when you have things in control, it is, you know, I'm going to do this and that, and then it's going to go like this, and it's going to go like that, and that's what I have to offer. But you're offering yourself in a vulnerable sort of way. And even though it's not those ways that looked this, that, and the other, I think there's a softness that comes with that brokenness that I'm sure I know people around you have experienced and been and blessed I, by. And I've spent so much of my walk with God fighting that softness mm-hmm. and, and wanting that, that together and wanting that ability to, to yeah to to hold it together mm-hmm. and it's just led to so much frustration and anger when i look at my own heart mm-hmm. um and and the brokenness and the tears have led to a softness mm-hmm. that i want to cling to yeah well it's an encouragement to me cuz like i said i can relate control can often equal anger mm-hmm. What do you think, Caroline? You're nodding your head over well, there. Well, I'm just, I'm loving what you were saying, and I'm feeling just super ministered to by it and relating so much to that. And I feel like I can see how, yeah, same, when I when it's more crisis mode, really, and I feel more out of control and just desperately clinging to the Lord, that there's part of me that just wants that to, wants it to end. Like I want the comfort of the stability of the circumstances being different, but, but yeah, sometimes when those circumstances are get back to like being a little bit more stable, the parts of you that may be like, are not really truly like trusting in Christ can kind of come back in. And um, yeah, I'm just really relating to, to you on that and really appreciating that. Um, as far as how the Lord is, um, 
what what I've been learning about myself in relationship to um, Camille and the ways that I've interacted with her um, and I continue to interact with her is, um, you know, I've, I've just learned a lot about, um, idolatry. (laughs) Um, John Calvin, he said that our hearts are like idol factories, which is kind of a heavy thing (laughs) to think about. But I really do think that there are oftentimes, um, idols in all of our hearts that we don't even realize are there. And then when something gets taken away, or something is brought into our life or someone has brought into our life that um, we weren't planning for, it can really um, all of a sudden reveal where we were putting our hope all along. And I think that in my life, the Lord has really been using Camille um, and the circumstances that we've been going through as a family to just expose idols and, um, just truly call me to put my trust in him. And I feel like there's so many idols. <laughs> um, but one you of have more than the one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love, like I had a mentor, um, years ago that said at any point you should be able to name your top five idols. So that even just that question was like, Oh wow. Like, okay. So there are more than five. <laughs> like you just need to name your top five. Like, okay. It just kind of shifted things for me. But, um, I would say one of the biggest idols that I, um, have dealt with and continue to deal with in, um, raising a daughter with special needs is kind of a sense of achievement and perfectionism. Um, having a daughter with down syndrome means that we do a lot of therapy, and early intervention, um, to be able to get her to where she should be developmentally. She has speech therapy, feeding therapy, occupational therapy, physical therapy. Mm-hmm. And really with each category of therapy, there's four therapies. We have, um, daily homework. We have things that we're supposed to be practicing at home multiple times a day in all the categories. And with all the needs of my children, Many times I just cannot give to Camille what I want to give to her. And that is very frustrating for my personality. Mm-hmm. I am that type. Yes. The taco family type. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. We're in the middle of crisis. Let's dress up as a taco meal. Like, I guess that's my way of coping <laughs> somehow. It's like, we've got to do something. We've got to like pull it together. You know? <laughs> um, but I can find myself striving to come up with better systems to figure out a way. Like there's got to be a way. I've just got to come up with the system, the routine, the daily routine to make sure that I can do it all, that I can get every kid's need met. And, um, we will be the highest functioning down syndrome (laughs) family, you know, like just the battle of comparison, even within the down syndrome community, Mm -hmm. it's just off the chart. Um, and you know what? I cannot do it. I fall short and this has always been a struggle for me my whole life, but never I've have I been so like having to face my insufficiency, Mm -hmm. my weakness. And as a result, never have I felt so desperate for a sense of justification and value and identity that is outside of myself. Mm -hmm. I have never felt so 
brought to the end of myself on so many different levels, um, just failing, really just mm-hmm. failing and having to face people, you know, therapists <laughs> say, did you do this? And <laughs> how's this going? And, and, and not just them, other things with, with my children and, and just so many things across the board that I have just felt like, no, I'm the type that, that does all this. I keep it up. I keep up with it and I cannot. And it's felt really embarrassing and really raw and really like, I've just felt very stripped bare. Um, but God is doing such a work Mm. in it and he is growing me to really cling to him as my treasure and my validation and also he is teaching me, I do not have this down, but he is trying to teach me, um, and giving me freedom, freedom from the burden that Camille's, the, the outcome of Camille's life all depends on me and what I do for her, um, to allow that weight to rest on his shoulders. And in doing so, I feel like he frees me to be faithful with what I can do for her that day, to work hard on her behalf, but not with a sense of striving, not with a sense that it relies on my shoulders, um, that it's all up to me, but to be faithful and know, okay, it's okay for me to not put all my attention on Camille right now because this other child needs to be shepherded and cared for right now, or this other child needs, you know, X, Y, Z. And so I feel like the Lord is really using this kind of being stripped bare and exposing this idol of achievement and perfectionism to just show me that I can trust in him and that I can rest, really experience mm-hmm. um, the rest that he gives me in the gospel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I love that. Um, how you, how you kind of came full circle in a sense, you, you identified it as an idol, which, you know, I guess you think an idol is something that you pay tribute to. You bring everything that you have, everything you are, everything you can think of and you give it to that idol in order to get something back that you know that you need. And you recognize that perfectionism can't give you that assurance that everything will be okay with Camille or that you will Mm -hmm. always and forever feel like you have accomplished what you're supposed to, that you are, you you are okay. You did everything right. You can rest easy. That only, only the Lord gives you that deep sense of what you're calling justification, which is being made right. right. And once he gives that to you, then he frees you up to go ahead and be the talk of family. Go ahead and use those <laughs> yeah. gifts. Go ahead and do all of those wonderful right. things that your temperament can yes. do. You're just no longer doing them for that sense of absolute security, absolute worth, absolute whatever. You're doing it in freedom. Mm-hmm. And that's a sweet thing. that the, He really does free us. And then he uses us mm-hmm. in sweet ways. Yeah. Amen. He really does. It is so beautiful. Y'all both um, kind of touched on this a bit, but... Um, I think our families have limits placed on them that other families don't experience. And often these limits can cause isolation and awkwardness and just not knowing how to enter into the long suffering. I think the church is typically pretty good at acute care, but often we are unsure of how to come alongside of hurting members as their pain is not temporary, but is in fact relentless. So would y'all share with us what you've learned about community and what it looks like to bear one another's burdens for the long haul? I just want to say amen to the therapy guilt. (laughs) (laughs) It is strong, (laughs) very strong. I may have lied to a therapist this morning. (laughs) Same. 
Um, so I talked earlier about God's presence being so real in the midst of our suffering over the last few years. And I think one of the things is that I feel like God's presence has been ushered into our life through people over and over again. And the moments where I felt like he wasn't there, people have reminded us and just, I feel like they've almost grabbed our hand and said, let me take you well, I'm going to walk with you. God is still a part of you and a part of this. Having children with special needs means that you're in a constant state of grieving and you're grieving hopes and dreams. You're grieving milestones that aren't going to happen. Mm. You're just, you're just grieving over and over and over again. And with that, I think when you're in a place of grief, you you don't have the ability to think about what you need a lot of times. So I think that what has been some of the sweetest relationships are relationships that people just lean in. They don't ask what we need. They don't ask what we can do. They just do it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I often do not have the margin to say, could you do this for me? And so um, I think being courageous to just kind of step out in those relationships or even people that you don't know very well. So many of our dearest friendships right now started because people leaned in when they didn't know us. Mm -hmm. And also keeping in mind that we have a, people were leaning in to a family that they thought was going to lose a baby. Mm -hmm. And so they weren't leaning into an easy situation. I mean, we, when Samuel was born, there was um, his neonatologist and a nurse that we're dear friends with now that took extra time and shifts to be there. And we all expected for this not to go well. And so that is leaning in when it's going to be really hard. And I think that takes, that takes courage and that takes some creativity. And we've had friends that we had to, you know, if we have to take Samuel to the emergency room, they say, I'm coming over to read books to your kids and make sure they're in bed. Um, and, and none of these friends sat down and said, what do you need? How can I help you? They just said, I'm coming. This is what I'm going to do. And so I think, um, all those things take a lot of sacrifice and they take a lot of courage on the part of the people that have loved us, that have loved us really well. And so um, I think bearing one another's burdens is, is, is sacrificial mm-hmm. and it requires something. And I also think it can be awkward mm-hmm. and that requires some courage. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. I remember having this conversation, a similar conversation to you bef- with you before Samuel was born. You might not remember it. John and I were sitting over in your living room, and maybe John had even asked you maybe what you, you needed, and you were like, I don't know. <laughs> Clueless. I have no idea. And, it, yeah, it's courage on, the, on someone just to say, I'm going to offer what I know to offer. Mm-hmm. And in that moment when you're experiencing that type of suffering, anything communicates love. And I think sometimes I think, oh, I'm so bad about thinking about what it is I should do. Instead of just thinking, well, what would I do? You know, and do what I can do or know to do and, and not think, oh, they're not going to like the fact that I did da 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 mm-hmm. da But yeah, having the courage, I think even just as you're saying that, I'm thinking about that to just, it's not about me. It's not about whether I did the right thing or I did yeah. whatever, but I'm just wanting to show love. And I've seen you just in that softness, just find that so many different things you didn't even know or expect. You didn't know you needed 
have have really ministered uh, to you. I'm thinking about that parade uh, that people did for Samuel. Yes, and, that um, was I. I could go on and on about yeah. the examples of things that people did that we didn't. We never would have imagined um, needing. We needed help celebrating Samuel's life because we were expecting him to die. And so we were just fighting, just living for his death. And there are so many people. The parade was one yeah, thing that yeah. that for his one year, his half birthday, it was in the yeah, middle of shelter would, in yeah. place. And mm-hmm. it was, I mean, an epic parade. It was a lot of people throwing toilet paper in our yard because nobody had toilet paper. Um, nobody had toilet paper. <laughs> but we needed people to help us celebrate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I can remember when he turned three months old, somebody showed up on our door with a Baskin Robbins, one of the pastors, a Baskin mm-hmm. Robbins birthday cake mm-hmm. and said, here, he's turning three. Mm-hmm. Let's you and your family just have have a moment. Mm-hmm. And all those things just it, it took some courage yeah. and some creativity. And 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 if you're listening and you're one of these people that's done these things, I, it, your love for us reminded us that God was present. Yeah. And kept, it strengthened our faith. And so I think there's so much, when you're in the middle of trauma and suffering, you you need people to remind you that God hasn't left. Mm. I love, I love all of that. And I, I just think about community and the church. And I think um, with having a child with special needs, um, I think the thing that I've learned is like, I need community, you know, it can be lonely and, um, I need friendship. And I think it can be hard because many people are not going through what you are going through. Um, and I think that really there are two types of people that I need in my life. And one is the type of people that are not in it. Like they don't know they cannot relate. Um, and I need those types. I need, I need people that, um, don't have a child with special needs that it feels foreign to them who are not sure if they're going to say the wrong thing. I want them in my life. I don't want them to shy away from me. Um, but to lean in and, and ask, you know, how are you doing? How, how is Camille doing? Um, how is, how's therapy going? You know, like, how's your family? Just even if you're saying the wrong thing, like I will accept that person and just be thankful that they are in my life and caring, um, for me and for my family to invite us to play dates. If they have little kids, invite us over for meals and, you know, ask how can we accommodate Camille so that you, you and your family can come over for a meal just to, to be in our lives and not be like, the way I think I would be prior to having a family prior to having a child with special needs is I would be like, I don't know what to do and kind of just walk out in fear and kind of distance myself and just look the other way. I hate to say, but that's who I would be beforehand. And to me, this type of person, God has given me a child with special needs and it's been super transformative. And, um, so I feel like I can speak to myself before, um, all of this and say, you know, don't shy away, press in, um, to that, situation where you're like, I don't know what to do. It's awkward, but care and, Mm -hmm. and, um, 
And, and then the other type of, of, of person is, is the type that is in it, that does understand. And um, I need that. And I am so thankful for, um, for the G3 group. We've only met one week and um, I feel like it was just so deeply encouraging. My husband and I were like, wow, like that, I think Susie, you mentioned the word sacred. I Mm -hmm. felt like it was like we were standing on holy Mm -hmm. ground and I just was surrounded by some of the most amazing people because of what they've gone through, um, and continue to go through. And it just felt like such a safe place to share and to feel understood and really a lot of us had very similar emotions and just being able to express those or hear someone else express it. And you're like, I've never been able to put it into words, but yes, that's how I feel or that's how I felt. Um, and I'm just really thankful for that because it is hard to gather everyone together in one place. And so it just feels like this amazing thing. We're so thankful for the, the way, all the logistics that were in place to make it happen. And I am just excited to see how we're going to sharpen each other, Mm -hmm. like how we're not just going to get together and share our situations be like, yes, I feel that way. I feel that way, but we're going to, I believe come together and look at how our situations, um, can be processed in terms of Christ and his word and his promises. And I think it's um, just the the group is a real, a real gift and I'm super thankful for it. Well, that's how I feel about y'all coming to sit around the table today and speaking of these things that are hard and that they're hopeful. And there's no other reason that you would want to come sit around the table, tell your story uh, for people who are listening that you don't even know. Uh, than that you believe in a Jesus who uh, makes beautiful things mm-hmm. in broken places. And so often we think that beauty just comes with having everything together. And we serve a Savior who loves the things that are broken, who loves um, to be gentle uh, to those who are struggling and who are suffering and to build us up and to do it as a community and a body and to see what beauty really is not found in ourselves found in him and so I appreciate y'all the way that you would come here today to share that and and the way that you believe that and show that in so many different ways if you would like to see Caroline and Jenny's pretty faces which you would their beautiful smiles you can check us out on our women's bible study facebook page at women's bible study fpca or find us on Instagram at First Pres Augusta Women. Jenny, uh, you also have a little podcast in which you go into Samuel's story in more detail. Remind our listeners what that is, or tell our listeners what that is. Sure. We, um, uh, Wiley and I were given the opportunity to be guests on the MCG Pediatric Podcast. They did a series on trisomy 13 and 18, and we were asked to tell Samuel's story. So you can hear every detail of, of the birth and how we've processed him being on hospice and how we process making decisions for a child that has a life-limiting diagnosis and gotten us to this point. Love it. So y'all get a chance to do that. We also hope you'll join us again next week. Let us keep you company while you go for a nice fall walk and enjoy the falling leaves. Uh, We hope you listen in. Sometimes a light surprises the Christian wife she seeks 